First, cleanse the inside of the cup. Matthew 23 and verse 25. You know, before a man can make God his first, he must first make all else last. God is not going to take first place when another is in his place. Scripture says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. There is none besides me, says the Lord in Isaiah 45, 5. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, says verse 5. You know, herein lies the real challenge for man today. God is seeking first place in our hearts, but meanwhile, something else is too. The Bible describes this tension as the spirit versus the lust of the flesh. The inner man can say with David in Psalm 18 and Psalm 116, I love the Lord. But there will always be that ever-present existence of the carnal, the fleshly, oftentimes resulting in the self-seeking desires. It's a constant war. It's a war between loving what is above versus loving what is below. It's a war between sacrificing our own desires on the altar to please God versus sacrificing God on the altar to please our own desires. How can we overcome? Well, First, cleanse the inside of the cup. First, you got to dispose of the filth that's in the inside. Clean it out. Wash it out. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of the waste. Our love for God is not going to move in until our love of the world moves out. We got to get some hot water. We got to get some detergent. We got to find the most abrasive steel wired mesh we can find and remove the stuck on grease that's in the cup. God wants to be the master chef in your life. And he's not baking with yesterday's stuck-on food. I want you, and myself included, to love the Lord with all of our heart, dear Christian. But first, we must cleanse the inside of the cup. There's a passage I find in Scripture that I want you to consider with me. I hope it will encourage you to make the cup clean. So you can love him with all your soul. There are actually two passages, but we call them parallel accounts because both speak of the same occasion, but tell it from another writer's perspective. That means that just like any other cross-examination, no one person tells a story the exact same way the other tells a story. In fact, if that were to happen, we would call that corroboration, and that story would lose its authenticity. Certainly, when we see one story being told from these two different per perspectives and they're not told in the exact same way, that doesn't mean their accounts are contradictory. No, far be it on the, on the other side. It actually validates their authenticity. You may find facts, you may find details in one that you don't find in another. But in many ways, this only helps to validate the integrity of the Scripture. Now, first, we examine Matthew chapter 8, Matthew's account, chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. It really should be a familiar story to you, even if you're new to the Bible. It's that old story about the three would-be followers. And oftentimes, it's titled in our Bibles as the cost of discipleship. That is this section of Scripture. Our purposes, though, here today, might call us to rename this section the Negotiators. I think there's an element here where the question is being asked, 
Where can I meet God halfway? Does loving the Lord my God really have to be an all or nothing proposition? These are questions that I think implicitly undergird the occasion, though they may not be stated explicitly. Now, Scripture says in Matthew 8, verse 18, follow with me here for a moment. It says that when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now, as Jesus' disciples most certainly prepare to depart, there appears to be a certain few who seemed ready to go with him. In fact, the first one seemed to have initiated the invitation himself. Teacher, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. But the Lord appears to have read his heart. He says to the gentleman, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, Jesus is telling this man, look, there's no comfy beds here to sleep on in this ministry. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to give up the comforts of your home and the conveniences of your leisure because this ministry is not necessarily a ministry of mere convenience. This ministry might be something akin to backwoods, sleeping bag, hike up the mountain kind of ministry at times. If you're not prepared to give up these earthly inconveniences for me, Jesus says, in effect, you cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart and follow me. I want to ask you a question right now. Are you in love with the comforts and conveniences of this world? Does the lazy boy call you at night every night? Does the television seize hold on your eyes? Does the Facebook and social media gossip keep you glued in on the smartphone device? Do the comforts and conveniences of the home keep you homebound? Do all those self-imposed responsibilities of the home keep you so engrossed that personal devotion to God, assembling with the church body, engaging in good works of service, they all have to take a back seat? Remember the Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 The world is passing away, the Bible says, but God is forever. Cleanse the cup. Do not fill the cup with the things of this world. So we meet the second would-be follower. This time it would seem by invitation of the Lord himself, according to Luke 9.59. We'll look at that section later. But this disciple, unlike the first, clearly expresses the desires of his heart. Maybe he thinks that his request is far more reasonable than that of the first man. And, after all, the first man probably doesn't want to say or ask the Lord, Lord, is there a comfy bed to sleep on? No, but this man seemingly has a reasonable request to make. The man says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, Lord, let me first, notice that word first, let me first go and bury my father. Now here we see a man who gives weight to something that obviously is fundamentally more important than mere things. The man wants to bury his father. The man wants to attend his dad's funeral. Who'd want to miss that? Well, nobody, usually. But now... As important as that earthly function and that earthly figure might be, I want you to step back and look at the situation that this man stands in and ask yourself, really, in this moment, which is more important? 
Is it more important to go to dad's funeral? Or is it more important to follow Jesus in this most critical moment of the one and only Messiah's three and a half year ministry, the Son of God, the most important figure to have ever stood on God's green earth, the long-awaited, 4,000-year-old, seed-promised Savior of all mankind, both in this age and in ages before and in ages to come? Well, when you say it like that, preacher man, I guess the obvious answer is the latter. The latter is far more important. You see, it's only until we put things in perspective do we see that even the most important functions and figures in this life cannot hold a candlestick to the figure and functions of God. And yet, as we consider our so-called Christian culture today, one that's slipping further and further away by the minute, there are far lesser things that kept keep men away from the worship assembly or from that private room of devotion and prayer. Things that could not even compare to your own father's funeral. You know, I'm thinking about silly little things. And I call them silly, though I enjoy them myself. But in comparison, silly little things like ball games, band practices, common school-related functions, homework, recreational activities. Even when you consider more serious things like attending an elderly parent's care, or attending to the needs of our kids and children. These are things in our life that require regular attendance, and somehow we have to find a way to keep putting God first. Somebody asks, are you saying I need to be here for every single church function? Do I need to be here every single time the church door opens in order to be a faithful child of God? Well, the answer is no. It's interesting how that is sometimes our first thought when we think about the man who was called to dismiss his father's funeral. We need to remember that this was a once-in-a-lifetime event where a child of God had opportunity to walk with the living and incarnate Son of God. But it should be self-evident to us today that there are now certain activities and acts of devotion that occur so regularly that from time to time when some illness or some special event occurs in our home, yes, it's perfectly acceptable to dismiss oneself from the assembly. I could hardly doubt that one is guilty of forsaking the assembly when he misses a single worship assembly because he's sick or there's some rare, uncommon event that occurs. You know what you really need to do in your life is what might be called an overview you need to look over the entire course of your day-to-day -day life and your weeks and your months and ask yourself, is my time, my attendance, my activities revealing a God who has first place in my life? More importantly, we might say assess your heart. Because even if the percentages happen to turn on your favor, we're not playing a percentage game here. We ask the question still, what about the other 10%? Is it because of sin or selfishness? Are we holding back the rest of what we could potentially be giving to the Lord because maybe we're trying to fulfill some selfish desire? Let's, let's not play percentage games about this, but let's assess our hearts and the decisions we make. The final passage in the last disciple is found in Luke's account in, Luke, in chapter 9 and verse 61. Now, for whatever reason, it's not included in Matthew's account, but the two are so similar that it would seem impossible that they occur on separate occasions. And so, uh, look, just look with me here, this last would-be disciple in Luke 9, verse 61. 
Again, like the first, the third prospect appears to provide his own invitation to follow the Lord. He's, he's eager. He says, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I will follow you. But again, there is a but in the middle of this statement, like so many of the others. And we are also met by another first. He says, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, this third scenario is interesting because it really doesn't progress in importance like the other two. In fact, in some ways, the third man's request is the least important of them all. The first prospect places emphasis on things, and in some ways, things are very important to us. The second prospect places emphasis on people, and obviously, people are very important. But the third prospect is different. He just wants to say goodbye. He wants to bid farewell to his family and then return to his walk with Jesus. It really doesn't have anything to do with things or people. It's just a simple goodbye. So we ask the question, what's going on here? What is the problem? Well, some see parallels with Elisha in 1 Kings 19. And certainly for the Jew, especially familiar with his Old Testament, he may have been reminded of this scene. Elisha tells Elijah to let him first go back and kiss his mother and father goodbye. Now, on this occasion, Elisha was allowed by the prophet to go back, and Elisha did so. So while the two certainly resonate with one another, there's an important difference, though, to understand here. When Elisha went back, he went back to slay a yoke of oxen. He went back to kill his animals, those that belonged to him. And then, Scripture says that he even burned the animal equipment, using his firewood to cook the meat of the bulls. You see, Elisha essentially went back home to cut ties with his life back home. Elisha went back so that in some ways he could not go back. But the Lord, knowing the hearts of all men, he knows that this is not the case with the third and final would-be disciple. What's the problem with the last one, the last disciple, the last would-be this man's heart still has his home in the world. And as a result, he cannot give God his whole heart. Jesus says to the man, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Did you hear those words? No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back. This man may have been ready and available to put his hand on the plow, unlike the other two. Just a quick kiss goodbye, and he was ready to go. But Jesus refuses to be served by a man who he can see still has his eyes looking back. His heart still remains elsewhere. You know, to those who regularly attend the duties, the functions of God, I want to speak to you before we close. It's good that you should regularly attend worship assembly, Bible classes, Bible studies, fellowship groups, so on and so forth. It's good that you should read your Bible, that you may know what the scriptures say, perhaps even prepare a lesson and share it with others. It's good that you should visit the orphans and the widows and labor in the ministry of God's holy word. But you need to know this. 
God is not merely pleased by a Mother Teresa or an Oprah or a Gandhi or any others who might be famously named for the many good works and deeds that they do. I think about many a high priest in the Old Testament and many a king of Israel, even some prophets of God, one namely Balaam, who gave service to God, but they did so with one foot in the kingdom and the other foot in the world. Now, you know, you can call this service to God, but one thing you cannot call it is love. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14. To merely keep the commandments and not love is like a spouse who remains wed to their significant other, but does not really find them all that significant. If you love me, keep my commandments. May God help us all to love the most significant in our lives. Let's clean out the cup. Let's fill it up first and foremost with the Lord our God. Let's make him our first cup in the morning and our last cup in the evening. Let's be sure to make him our preferred beverage over all other beverages because he will not take first place in our lives if another is in his place. This is an all or nothing proposition. You choose to let him fill your cup or you choose something else. I encourage you to choose life, choose God, and clean out the cup.